0: The rest of us can be turning to Deuteronomy 24. Get you a muffin? Yeah. I do Blueberry banana sounds like a good combination. I think it's half blueberry, half banana. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well. You can get one of each. I'm buying <laughs> them. are just getting it and taking it back to the house. Tell Brother Parsons the muffins were a hit. <laughs> Alright, so Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and get started. We're going to continue our series on using the law lawfully. And Last week we ended before we can get to the, uh, the second one I was hoping to get to last week, so we'll pick up with that one this week and then go with one more after that. The first one it's Very simple Uh, Shouldn't take too long at all But that's the timely payment of wages Let's look at Deuteronomy 24 Verse number 14 To see the Old Testament command Thou shalt not oppress An hired servant that is poor and needy Whether he be of thy brethren Or of thy strangers that are in thy land Within thy gates At at his day thou shalt give him his hire Neither shall the sun Go down upon it For he is poor poor and setteth his heart upon it. And let's go to Leviticus 19, verse 13. Leviticus 19, verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. And so here we have two passages from the Old Testament commanding that the workers were to be paid their wages at the day that was appointed for payment of their wages. And in the uh, this time period, typically that was the same day that they did their work. It doesn't say you have to pay them the same day they do their work, but it was at the appointed time uh, for that payment, you were to pay them their wages and you weren't to say, I'll wait until tomorrow and I'll pay you, but and you've agreed to pay the, the employee, that was the time that you were supposed to pay him. And the reason given is because if he's a, a poor man, he has set his heart on that and he's uh, ordered his life in such a way that he can pay his bill right after he gets the money that you owe him as the employer. So he's living paycheck to paycheck, and if one of the paychecks gets delayed, then he's having to delay paying his bills. Uh, he may uh, accrues some charges on his bills because of late payments as a result of that and makes life miserable for him and instead you're supposed to pay him when you agree to pay him so that his life is not miserable and he's able to make the payments for all of his bills and everything that he owes. So that's the Old Testament command. Uh, we can look at this in the New Testament. It shows up twice, or at least twice. Uh, first we'll look at Matthew chapter 20 and this command is referenced in one of the parables of Christ, in Matthew chapter 20, verse number 1, Matthew 20, verse number 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And we're familiar with the parable, and you can read it. It goes all the way down through verse number 15. Uh, But the the parable is not really about him paying them at the day that they were agreed to be paying on, or that they had agreed to be paid on. Uh, But that is mentioned in here. That is referenced. He agreed to pay them uh, a penny at the end of the day. And then when even was come, verse number 8, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And uh, so he paid them at the time that he agreed to pay them. That's just referenced here in in Christ's parable. This parable is more about the uh, laborers being content to take what they agreed to earn rather than demanding more because so-and-so got paid more. You You agreed to work for this amount, you should be content to Work for that amount Which is my primary argument against labor unions Uh, But anyway, that's a uh, lesson for another day entirely But we do see this principle referenced here This commandment that the workers were to be paid At the appointed time And the money wasn't to be held over But it's also directly applied in the New Testament To Gentile believers in two places James chapter 5 Verse 4 Would be one of those. It's the most familiar one. Are we using the word "hire" differently than they use it in the Bible? No, I don't think so. I think it's the. We would say their pay, and they're saying they're hire. Oh. We would we would say when somebody hires somebody, they offer them a job. Right. Well, it's it's the same uh, it's the same concept. Yeah. Um, the hire, when it talks about an hired servant uh, and then if you have uh, James uh, 4 you have behold the hire of the laborers the hiring of the servant is the agreeing to pay them and so the the hire is the pay uh, in that sense. So I I guess we've gotten a little bit away from that in our modern uh, reading of the word hire. It doesn't seem like it to me but then I study ancient documents all the time. So <laughs> to me, it, it's, the relation is still the same there. But I, I guess once you think about it, yeah, we do use it differently today. Okay, so James 5, verse number 4, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And this is a rebuke that James is giving to, of the rich men in the church uh, that he's writing to. And he's rebuking them because they have agreed to pay these laborers and they've kept back part of that hire by fraud. It's not being paid to them. He's saying this is wrong, that the cry is is going up before the Lord and he's going to hear that and he's going to punish you for not paying uh, your laborers as you agreed to pay them. And then let's go to Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Colossians 4, verse number 1, and very familiar passage. Again, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So here's a direct command to Gentile believers that are masters who have servants, so employers who have uh, employees. They are to give unto their employees that which is just and equal, well, what's just and equal is what you've agreed to pay them and what they've agreed to work for. So that's what you're to give them. And so that's what we are commanded to do as employers, we're commanded to pay the employees uh, what we owe them, when we owe them, and it's all to be uh, just and equal and above board and free of any kind of fraud. And So that's the, the commandment for a timely payment of wages. It's given both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament something that applies to all people at all times alright let's move on to the next one here and this one's very interesting uh, partly because of the fact that uh, it's not followed so much nowadays as it used to be and that is the command to to allow people to eat the fruit of your field so it's the command of regarding eating the fruit from your neighbor's field let's look at the Old Testament command Deuteronomy 23 Deuteronomy 23 will start in verse 24 When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard Then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill At thine own pleasure But thou shalt not put any in thy vessel When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor Thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. So here we have an an interesting law in the Old Testament. God commanded that the Jews were to allow the the passers by to eat fruit and grain from their fields. So if you're walking through the field, uh, you have uh, fruit hanging from uh, the vine, so you're hungry. So you could reach up and grab some grapes, pop them in your mouth, satisfy your hunger, and you can keep going. Uh, So that was permitted by Old Testament law. Same thing as walking through a cornfield, or corn refers to all the different types of grain. It's it's a generic term. It's not like we use it today where it's specifically of a a particular type of grain. But if you're walking through a grain field, you're hungry, you can pluck some grain and uh, eat that grain. And that was permitted by Jewish law. Now what was not permitted is that you're not allowed to gather large amounts of fruit and actually harvest the fruit. Uh, just take what you could grab while you're walking through the field and, and eat as you're passing through. So that's why it mentions not to put any in thy vessel. You couldn't gather a bunch of grapes, grape clusters, and stick them in a bag and carry them with you. Now, that would be harvesting the field. It's not your field to harvest. Uh, you couldn't go through with a sickle and start cutting down sheaves of grain and take those with you that's that's harvesting it's not yours you can't harvest it but you were allowed to just partake of a little bit and, and eat it as you were passing through now in the New Testament there is no direct command for this to to Gentile believers but it is referenced one time in the New Testament and that's in Matthew chapter 12 Matthew chapter 12, and you've probably already thought about this reference just in me reading about the Old Testament command. Matthew 12, verse number 1. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So he's, they're complaining, they're doing work on the Sabbath day, they're they're harvesting. They weren't really harvesting, they were just grabbing some corn off the stalk, rubbing it in their hands and, and eating. Uh, and this passage doesn't mention them rubbing it with their hands, but I think it's mentioned there in uh, uh, Luke, where it mentions them rubbing it with their hands, so they're breaking the ch- chaff off of it, and then eating the, the grain. And so, Here we have just a reference back to this concept. It's mentioned here in passing as if it's just a common occurrence among the Jews. They're walking through the field, and they were a little hungry, so they just grabbed some grain and and ate it. And it was a common occurrence among the Jews because that's what their law allowed. But again, there's no direct command uh, for this to Gentile believers. However, it's based on an underlying principle, and that underlying principle isn't really... Uh, stated explicitly in the Bible but you can derive it by a study of the Old Testament and you can see that that underlying pr- principle applies basically everywhere and at all times. And that underlying principle is the same thing as what's known as the labor theory of property It was in modern times it was first proposed by John Locke uh, but Locke himself claimed that he developed this idea from studying scripture. If you read his explanation in the second treatise on government, chapter 5, where he talks about private property and public property, uh, he, the whole thing is all based on a study of the Old Testament and looking at where property came from in the Bible. And so in the labor theory of property, uh, Locke argues that the whole world was public property when it was first created, and that's just common sense. You know, no one owned anything in the world when God first created it, so it's all public property. And then he said that a piece of fruit that no one owns obviously becomes the property of an individual when it's eaten and made part of that individual's body. That's common sense again. You you eat a piece of fruit, that fruit becomes nourishment in your body, it's now yours. No one can take that from you. They can punish you for taking it, but they can't say it's their property anymore because now it's your property, it's part of your body. And your body is your own property. Uh, And so therefore the labor... Of taking and eating a piece of fruit makes it someone's property and so he then applied that theory that's the labor theory of property the the labor of doing something with a natural resource makes it your property and he applied that to all labor that is done on things in the world so if you have a plot of land and you cultivate that land you've put labor into it and so now that makes that land that which was formerly public property that now belongs to the person who is cultivating it and it becomes their property. And so that was his theory for how property came to be uh, developed throughout the history of humankind. Uh, That at first the whole world was open to everyone and the way that people established their property rights as they went and they founded a homestead they started cultivating the land and that became their property. And that's that's a a common thing uh, even today Uh, the whole concept of of homestead laws, that if there's an unclaimed piece of property and no one owns that property and it's public, uh, not owned by the government public, but actually unclaimed and unowned, if someone goes and cultivates that land and starts to develop it, puts some labor into it, then everyone pretty much recognizes that that belongs to that person. It seems like a common sense uh, approach to property. And so that's what uh, Locke applied from a study of the Old Testament and this passage seems to fit that idea that uh, that labor is what produces property rights. Uh, those who perform the labor have ownership over the product of their labor and they can either keep it for themselves or sell it to become the property of someone else. And then those who labor as you get it, society further developed and you have uh, the invention of money Then you have situations where those who labor in exchange for wages, what they're doing is they're essentially selling their labor, selling the property that's produced by their labor to the person who pays their wages. And so you had, I just saw in the news recently about someone uh, getting in trouble because they worked for a a, a meat produce company or meat products company producing uh, deli products and they were eating every day. They would eat the meat as it was going down the conveyor belt. They would just, you know, get some and eat it. And they got into all kinds of trouble. You know, millions of dollars worth of meat over so many years, and you know, et cetera. So, anyway, they they got into lots of trouble for that. Um, but the some people would say, hey, they're doing the work, therefore they should get to to eat the meat as it goes by. That should be allowed. And I've heard people make that that argument, but. Really, that meat that they're producing and that work, they're getting paid for. So they've already sold that meat to the person paying their wages by accepting the wages. They're selling the product that they've produced. And so they no longer have a property claim to that product, even though it's the product of their own labor. They've sold it now by agreeing to work for money instead of agreeing to work for the food. And so anyway, that's that's all the, the property, the th- labor theory of property. And it fits very well with Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25. And let's, let's look at why. And that's because the ownership of the land, according to the labor theory of property, is based on the labor of cultivation. So if you get a plot of land, you cultivate it, and so now you've put some work into it, and therefore... Uh, That land becomes your property, and what grows on that land becomes your property because of the, it's growing as a result of your cultivation. However, the cultivator of the land does not actually make the fruit grow. The fruit is going to grow on the land, the the grass, the trees, the uh, grain, and the vines, they're going to grow on the land no matter what, because God produces the growth in the land. That's God's labor, not our labor. So you don't have a a full claim to all the fruit that grows on the land. So he made it, the cultivator makes it grow in abundance and thus has ownership of that abundance. But the land would have produced some amount of fruit even without his labor and that fruit that would have been produced without his labor, if it has no labor produced or no, no labor going into the production of it, then he doesn't have a right to it, and so it is public. And that's the, according to the, it's not according to our laws right now in America, but that is according to the Mm -hmm. labor theory of property. And so that fruit that he did not produce uh, would have been available for anyone. So in this case, the fruit that one takes in passing, just going through a field, uh, because it's a minimal amount, they're not taking the abundance, but the fruit they're just taking in passing is kind of like, uh, killing a wild squirrel or a rabbit on your neighbor's land and taking for your own meat. In our current society, that would be fine. Uh, you have a, There's a rabbit in our neighborhood that drives my dog crazy, uh, and that rabbit comes into everyone's yard and lives in the woods uh, in between my house and the church back here and comes out and feeds in everyone's yards. If I were to shoot that rabbit, grab my, my BB gun because... I shoot behind my house, I get into all kinds of trouble with the neighbors. But I grab the BB gun and, and shoot the shoot the rabbit. Even if it's in my neighbor's property, I have a right to go and, and take that rabbit and skin it and eat it, and I can, we can do that. That rabbit is not my neighbor's property, even though it's on my neighbor's land because the neighbor invested no labor in raising that rabbit and breeding that rabbit and all that. It's just a wild rabbit that I can kill and eat. Uh, and so... But a domesticated animal. Now, let's say my neighbor raised rabbits, and a domesticated animal is different. Even if one of his domesticated rabbits escapes and get in, gets onto my property, I can't just go out and shoot and eat that rabbit. That would be wrong because that's my neighbor's rabbit. That's his property because he's put labor into uh, the breeding and raising and fattening of that rabbit. Okay, so even even today, with our laws say we recognize instinctively that the natural products of the land, wild animals and, and things like that, they just belong to everyone. It's kind of like around here we have lots of wild blackberries that grow everywhere. They just belong to everyone. You're not stealing to just grab a wild blackberry off the side of the road somewhere. Uh, you're walking through the neighborhood and see a patch of blackberries, you know, it's, it's not theft to, to eat those blackberries. We recognize that instinctively, that what's produced naturally by the land is public property, it just belongs to to everyone, but the product that's produced by labor belongs to the one who bestowed that labor. Now when you look at a field, uh, in the Old Testament times you look at these fields, they've been cultivated, they're producing a lot of fruit, people are passing through them, it's impossible to say which piece of fruit was the product of labor and which would have been produced by the land naturally. You can't just look at a, an apple tree and say, now that apple, that's the result of cultivation. That apple, that's a wild one. You, you can't you can't determine which one. Uh, so either you have to say they're all produced by cultivation or they're all wild and they all belong to everyone, which would not be proper because The guy has put some labor into it. Uh, or you have to find some kind of balance between the middle. And so God found a particular balance that he assigned to the Jews And the way that he balanced that difference between the wild fruit and the fruit that's produced by cultivation is he said that uh, they should allow any man to eat of the fruit of the field as he's passing through, but only the owner whose labor of cultivation had caused the field to produce abundantly had the right to gather that abundance through additional labor other than just going through and, and picking and eating as he's passing the owner has the right to go through with a sickle and with a, a vessel to carry the, the produce and to harvest the field. But everyone had the right, because the field was, uh, the fruit was produced by nature and by God, everyone had the right to just eat of it as they were passing through. And that's the, just the balance that God established for the Jews. Uh, it's not necessary for anyone to have one balance or the other, to set the balance in one place or another. Uh, It's just that it's a natural principle that everyone recognizes that there is that balance uh, between what is wild and produced by nature and available to everyone and what is cultivated and owned by someone. And every nation throughout all history has recognized that balance and has placed uh, legally where that balance should be uh, in one place or another. No nation has ever passed a law stating that everything which exists within the boundaries of a particular plot of land belong to the owner of that land. Right? At the very least, every nation has recognized that you can breathe the air over a particular plot of land when you're walking through that plot of land. You don't have to pay the owner of the land for the air as you're walking through. And the reason not is because no one can claim to have produced that air through his own labor. Uh, so it's it's just it's free air that God has created for the benefit of all mankind and its public property because of the fact that God made it available to all men. Now, in America, we don't follow the the law that God had in the Old Testament for the Jews about uh, eating fruit and grains you pass through a field. In America, if you're passing through a cultivated field and you eat some of the fruit from that field, that is petty theft and you can be uh, arrested and charged and you know, have to pay for that theft. And that's fine america has chosen to set that balance somewhere else uh, in throughout most america it's different for different states but throughout most of america uh, the example i gave of, of shooting a wild rabbit would be perfectly fine and most states recognize that that's a wild animal you can shoot and kill a wild animal even on your neighbor's property and you can then uh, eat that the meat from that animal if you want so america does have a recognition of the fact that we have that balance. Now in times past uh, we've had more liberty than we have now in that regard uh, held a little closer to the standard that God had in the Bible but I don't think it's right or wrong either way uh, as long as we recognize that there is a balance between what God provides to all men naturally and what men own of their own private property as a result of their labor. And So that's the law on uh, eating neighbor's fruit as you're going through his field. Uh, it's not wrong for America not to recognize that law here and not to have the same law because it's never applied uh, directly to the Gentiles. Uh, but we do still recognize the principle that undergirds that law and we follow that in our society now. All right, we've got plenty of time for questions we got through that pretty quick, but not enough time to go to the next one. So any comments or questions? Yes. yes, that's <laughs> uh, depending on uh, if he has stated no trespassing. <laughs> right, it's, right. As long as he, if he tells me you can't come on my property, then yeah, we'd be trespassing going on his property. Which, of course, the Bible does have something to say about trespassing too. We'll get to that those other laws later anything else alright well let's go ahead and pray and be dismissed can grab a few more muffins on the way out right. dad why don't you close this in prayer